So hi, everyone, and welcome to this very first episode of Security and Two Sugars. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my first guest, um, the lovely Catherine Cuddos. Hi, Catherine. Hello there, Annabelle. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, I'm all right. It's a beautiful day, um, and it's super sunny, and it's a pleasure, actually, to be out of the, the direct sunlight, so I think I may have slightly overcooked myself absolutely overdosed on the rays well they're well they're uh well they're out there i think that's it's, it's absolutely obligatory so have, have you managed to get a bit of sunshine today then yeah i managed to um ship myself outside um and try and get set up make sure the wi-fi is good make sure i've got some shade so i can see the mouse moving about and uh yeah, it did turn the day around <laughs> to be honest i was thinking oh, i'm all stuck indoors and it's a bit dark in the room that i'm in but um yeah, bit of lunch and then cracking on outside was uh, was a real game change. That was lovely. Good, it's a glorious gift, isn't it? So thank you very much for agreeing to be um, my first guest. Uh, when I was drawing up the list of people that I wanted to invite onto the podcast, you were absolutely um, in my line of sight of people that I was going to ask. So I'm really, really grateful um, that you said yes to this. So no, no pressure. <laughs> well, exactly. So for, first off the blocks. Um, so obviously the name of the um, podcast is Security into Sugars. So the first question I'm going to ask you, although I'm really mindful that it's on a really, really roasting baking hot day <laughs> and it's about 32 degrees out. But uh, if we were sat on the virtual security sofa um, around which this podcast is set, uh, what would be your beverage of choice? And what mug would you use to drink it from if you have a special mug at work or at home that you'd like to well, share with the listeners? Absolutely. So it's always going to be a mug, the biggest mug I can find of Yorkshire tea, no sugar, milk. Um, and I once saw this uh, this meme on the internet, which I think describes how I like my tea. The same shade as um, He-Man's face. <laughs> <laughs> masters of the universe oh brilliant <laughs> so, um, but I've got a particular special mug at the moment because um, I did have a, a nice mug that I got when I left my previous role the guys got us as a, a bit of a gift and it had some of my like cheesy quotes on the back um, and a, a like a pencil portrait of my face I don't know why they thought I'd want a mug with my face on it but I did like the sentiment a lot <laughs> Um, and everyone knows it's my mug, so that's something. Wonderful. Um, so that was nice. But um, that's locked in the office at the moment. So what I've defaulted to is my ceramic um, Guinness tankard because I don't think you can get a tea big enough. So I'm currently drinking a pint of tea um, in a Guinness tankard. So I often have to add the disclaimer if I'm on a video call that it's it's not Guinness. Um, because, you know, things do slip a bit at home, don't they, when you're working at home? They do. Um, <laughs> you could do. just be having a casual pint, but genuinely, no, it is just just delicious Yorkshire tea. And nobody would know, because your, your secret is now out. So I'm intrigued about this mug that you have with um, things that you often say at work on it. So um, so what, what type of things are written on the mug, Catherine? Because to be <laughs> honest, if I had a mug with the things that I often said at work on it, I'm not sure I'd be able to talk about them on this podcast. Um, so what's on yours? Um, putting Northeast on the map 
that's another thing. Or put Newcastle on the map. That's that's one of them on there. Because um, I'm really, really passionate about getting the northeast really noticed for more than just one of the, the areas that I don't know, Grim up north and fracking, and it's all right. They're a bit thick up there. Um, not all of us are, so um, I'm really passionate about getting that message out. Um, so there's that, and I think um, equality and diversity was on there. Um, what else was on? There were some real like cheesy ones. I was laughing when they gave me it, but it was a really, it's really touching to know that I've got some sort of buzzing brand. Um, I think positivity was on there, so that was quite nice to see, rather than grumpy in the morning and um, better in the afternoon or something like that so that was quite nice take that every day of the week if that was me personally so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I know what you mean about the uh, Yorkshire tea so we um obviously our um our head office or, or the first established sapphire office is in the northeast and mm. um and absolutely surrounded by Yorkshire tea drinkers up there so we did um I don't know if you saw on LinkedIn, we, we did the tea box challenge just recently, which was um, we were nominated by one of our distributors, Distology. And um, so we had to film this video with us all chucking boxes of tea really cool. at each other. <laughs> and you could really tell where in the country people were from by the tea that they were drinking. Um, there was a lot of Yorkshire tea boxes in that video and a few people commented on it actually. So um, yeah, yeah, good so, yeah, absolutely. So Though we used to have the, the Twinings tea just down the road. Because um, I live in, in, well, people go, oh, you live in Tynemouth, which is like a nice end of North Shields, but it's North Shields. And uh, they used to have the Twining factory there. So I always felt that I should have done a bit more with Twinings or maybe Rington's, which is a, a really very well-known um, Newcastle brand. But sorry, guys, it's uh, it's definitely about the Yorkshire tea. Yorkshire tea. So a bit of a controversial question then. Um, do you drink hard water Yorkshire tea or um, just regular or gold there's gold Yorkshire tea as well isn't there well, I'm amazed yeah. that I know so much about Yorkshire tea <laughs> this is this is a topic that I didn't realize I knew so much about actually so anyway but is it gold is it regular is it is it hard water which is it it's just regular but I did um I did get um a box of gold takes it feels like it, it it costs the same as gold um so I got a box for me uh my first wedding anniversary which I was very excited about because I did it very special but actually nah it's too much just go with the regular brilliant I love that I love that that was a wedding anniversary gift wonderful good good I'm, I'm getting the sense of how, how heavily tea features in your life now Catherine so but then I used uh, to get mocked as well for the way I make tea but I will put in the milk first I know how much milk I like um and I will maybe just dangle the bag until it's the He-Man face colour. <laughs> um, but that's about as grand as the ritual gets, to be honest. So I don't want to burst that bubble too much. No, there is. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's whole forums on the internet about which way around you should put the milk yeah. in the water and, and, and which way around you should stir it and all sorts. But um, but yes, good. Okay, well, so you've got your mug of um, Yorkshire tea. I've got my mug of twi- happens to be Twining's tea. Um, in my obstinate headstrong girl mug, which is my mug of choice. Um, and so let's settle down and have a little bit of a chat. So the reason I set up this podcast in the first place is that quite often, um, I like you, I know are, are quite often on, on various different podcasts talking about certain issues in InfoSec. And it occurred to me that the thing that we don't find out as much is about the people who are actually on those um, podcasts or panels and things like that. And I was 
always really intrigued about people's stories and, you know, how they got to be um, in the jobs that they are now, how they got into information security, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just really sort of being able to tell the story and, you know, hopefully inspire some people who are perhaps wanting to get into the industry or some people who are already in the industry who obviously want to move forward with their careers. Um, just, you know, about um, what's happened to date in the life of Catherine Cuddos and information security, really. So um, so I know, Catherine, that you're um, currently the head of cyber operations um, at Virgin Money. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you get into the industry initially? Was it was it a was it a kind of a, a an accidental surprise like for many many of us for me for example I completely you know in fact actually even IT never mind information security it wasn't on my radar at all um I think at some point I wanted to be a nurse and then I wanted to be a journalist for for many years um and then um and then somehow found myself in the industry um and I know that's the story for for lots of people who didn't sort of deliberately set out but but how was it for you you know was it something that you you know had in the back of your mind when you were young or you know how did that evolve really good question because um I'm sure I was at some event and and that question was posed and um the amount of people that put their hands up saying I kind of found my way into it rather than you know day one that was where I wanted to to go this was definitely the the vocation I was looking for um, and it, it was it was really really funny to see that everyone has just kind of drifted into it somehow. Um, so uh, looking back over the years, I think actually it was sort of the path was written out for us a little bit in a way. Um, I was always tinkering on as a kid with um, various bits of tech. Um, obviously in the the eighties, um, tech was fairly limited in um, the average household. Uh, I was really fascinated by programs such as um, Tomorrow's World. And that was like, you know, my eyes would be nearly the size of the screen watching some of the inventions that they were demonstrating and showing off. Um, So I was always, I suppose, a really curious kid. And I think I'm still probably a bit too curious for me on good at times. Um, And I suppose that kind of led me down that path. But it it wasn't a, a career choice from school. Um, I did IT, GCSE, which um, set me up well for mail merge and in spreadsheets, which is probably yeah. something I've never used. <laughs> um, and uh, really, I really did enjoy that. I wanted to do computing at uh, level. Um, I went to the college open day and um, I spoke to, to one of the teachers. It was probably a bit old school and um, if I could travel back in time and kind of give them a small piece of my mind, I probably would. Um, and I was saying what I fancied doing and I said about computing and he went, well, to be honest, girls don't really do that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I stupidly went, all right, okay, that that's fine. And that was the end of that. Um, and I started college, um, did do computing. And what, what, did I was, what did you choose? So what did I do? Um, I did a bit of English, uh, sociology, law and psychology um, and a bit of Spanish as well, which is always useful when well, when we were still part of Europe and uh, you could easily travel to places. Those were the days then. I know. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the heady days. <laughs> the heady days of freedom. Yeah. Um, I've definitely got the travel itch at the minute, but we always go away this time of the year, so that'll be why it is. Um, 
so yeah, those things uh, didn't play really towards any tech strengths. Um, it was around about the the time of people starting to get the internet at home. Um, college had internet that had a really good computer suite, and uh, I remember going up there one day um, to do a bit of bit of work. Um, and I looked over, and there was the the computing class was was sat over the way, and there was right enough. It was all boys. Um, and then I saw this tiny woman in the corner of of the room, who who was the teacher. So isn't that crazy that you'd, you'd have a woman doing computing, um, teaching that as at A level, and saying you know, other people saying, you know, just boys do that. What? It's crazy. And the fact that I took that as a yeah, you don't do that. And that was okay. I yeah. still can't quite believe it. Yeah. Um, but all the tinkering on that I did, um, I started trying to um, program the PC I, I had at home. Um, what did you I have? tried to. Um, the first one I had was, oh, if, if we really go back, we had a, um, a 64 Sinclair, and no, Commodore 64 was the first one. And then I had a, um, a Spectrum ZX, which was great fun. Um, and then when I when I went to college, I think I had some sort of Windows three, something like that, um, which was rubbish, really, in hindsight. But it gave us a bit of the taste of what I'd like to play with, I suppose. Mm. Gosh, yeah. We so we didn't have a computer in our house, so I used to have to go up to my friend's house, and and they had a Commodore sixty four. Um, mm. I remember many happy hours playing or actually waiting to play. Just waiting for yeah, it. I was going to say not actually <laughs> playing it. We seemed to just wait longer for the game to load um, and then it would it wouldn't load properly and you'd have to start again from scratch. Um, it was painful. Yeah, so, because um, I remember... I'm saying that with my computer. It wasn't actually, it was me, my uncle's and he'd asked for it and I knew he wasn't bothered about it. It was just because his friends were having it. And then I ended up playing on it more than him. And uh, I got given a, a Tommy um my first computer thing um so yeah the irony there <laughs> and, and was it was it your uncle who kind of inspired because you mentioned earlier on that you were always tinkering around with technology and things like that it was, was it your uncle who who was sort of into that or who was was who was it at home who was kind of influencing you on that if anyone I guess it, it wasn't really anyone at home to be honest um although David my uncle he he asked for that computer I don't think he's ever been particularly super interested in tech or, or tinkering around with it um so like i say uh i'm not really sure where i got the inspiration from at the time um maybe it was some of the things that were on tv and some of the futuristic stuff um that sort of made us you know prick up and think fancy a bit of this this is exciting what does this mean how does this work and uh yeah, that, that curious nature of wanting to understand how things work, um, I think probably drove us in that direction. So that would totally explain your fangirl moment when Maggie Philbin was keynoting at NISC last year oh, then. Massively. Yeah, hugely. In fact, I think I should really put on my CV that um, I was one of the warm-up acts. I think our, our panel was three acts before, so I don't think that's going to really pass, is it? Yeah, and I was heading up that panel. I'm not sure you could ever describe that as a warm-up. <laughs> no more to, more to do with me and the fact that it was the night after the gala dinner evening i think than i think else, we did but, very yeah, well i think actually. we did i think all, all things considered i think we no we one was sick did. on stage so that's a win 
So when you um, obviously, so you were discouraged, obviously, to, to to study computing, and you know, you made the selection um, that you did in terms of subjects. What what did you have in mind that you were going to do? What what was it that you were kind of, or, or were you thinking that far? I mean, I was, I wasn't. I'm asking that question like that's the obvious thing to do, but I was absolutely one of those people who got to the end of my degree and went. Right. Okay. Um, what am I going to do now? Which is kind of how I ended up in information security, uh, luckily for me. But but what what was on your radar? So I suppose I quite fancied the idea of going into law enforcement of some sort. And it seemed like, you know, a good job to have, you know, when people, oh, that's a good job. Um, and I was probably partly gung-ho about it as well, um, so I remember, I think it was first year at university, there was one of the many Iraq wars was kicking off. And people were starting to stockpile, not massively, but there was a bit of people going, yeah, yeah, stockpile, you don't know what's going to happen next. So I can't quite believe when you think of the scenario that we're in now, um, and 2020 being such a, a random set of events in, in six months. Um, and I thought, do you know what? If I was called up, I would absolutely do my duty for the Queen and all this sort of nonsense. And... Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just thought that law was a good, a good thing to do, and it would, it would serve me well, and being able to play a part in um, civil justice and things like that. Um, but what was my heart really in it? Maybe not. I really enjoy doing um, intellectual property, which again tends to go into the the technical and music stuff, which I was really, really passionate. Well, still am really passionate about. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I think. And um, so talking about music and things like that. So, I mean, what, what, what did you, what were you focusing in on at that time? What were you, what what kind of things were you into? Uh, Music wise. Mm. Oh, well, um, pretty eclectic. I think Um, I remember we, when I worked at um, Thornton's as like a a shop assistant, um, we had, this is, terribly off brand and I hope that no one from Thornton's head office ever listens to this because I'm sure I would be told off in retrospect. Um we used to like bring in our own music to play everything obviously nothing too exciting, nothing too controversial. And um I brought a few in when I was working for a full week in the holidays or something like that. And people were like really baffled, like they'd misjudged me um because they thought I would just be really cutting edge with my music, but actually um at the same time as enjoying, for example, I think it was Californication, and I was listening to Steps and J-Lo at the same time as Nirvana or Red Hot, um, Foo Fighters or something like that. So, um, yeah, pretty much anything, really. Um, I used to go out probably too much on the drink at the time, and uh, one of my friends was an absolute Steps fan, and I would happily learn the routines with him and then also go to a rock club and um, love listening to the likes of uh, Ramstein and um, Papa Roach and such like. So, yeah, music music lover all through. But I suppose indie. Indie's been my favourite genre of all time, I suppose. And was your job at Thornton's, was that your first job? Um, yeah, I think it was, actually. Um, I started when I was 16 as a Christmas temp um and then I did a bit of waitressing and then went back to Thornton's and it was great fun I learned a lot I had some really good team members really good team spirit and uh yeah it was always good fun I 
I sometimes think of those days and smile a lot. And I think if you can get an ounce of that sort of team spirit, then you win it. So are you a mean, are you one of these people with a mean um, talent for writing people's names on uh, chocolate Easter eggs? Were you allowed to do yes. that? Yes. <laughs> yes. And that, even though I left in like, oh, I was 24, so quite a long time ago, um, I can still knock out a good happy Easter or happy birthday or you're the best. So yeah, if you ever need any, any, any ice and doing, you're, I'm your girl. You're on my list. Absolutely. I can still Good. do it. Consider it. Consider it. That's logged <laughs> and noted. So. Nailed. Yeah. So, um, so obviously we've kind of gone from, so around college time, you, you're studying, you think you might, you might go into law enforcement, you're working at Thornton's and so what was the next step? How did you actually kind of get from, from there into, you know, a role in, in, in IT? So um, I continued that tinkering on that I used to do as a kid. Um, and the internet I found was a really rich place for just total nonsense as it is still now. And also a really, really good place to learn about stuff. So um Again, slightly naughty since I was wanting to get into law enforcement and I was really concerned about whether I would get signed onto the Law Society successfully, um, which is funny since I was downloading a shed load of music and being able to do that on like Napster and LimeWire and all that sort of stuff. Like, you did have to work out how the computer worked and a little bit about basic networking. Um, so I found, oh, this is great fun. And actually, it was probably around the like the dot com boom, so everyone was setting up their own websites and stuff. Um, and I, I set up my own website, which was fun. Um, and I was selling stuff that I'd picked up along the way, or getting signed stuff when I was also had a a, a little casual job as um, like a flyer or a I'd go in and and decorate. Um, venues with posters for tours and stuff so i did quite a lot of stuff for nme at the time so i would get so posters music music venues yeah music venues oh, yeah okay right. and it was really good fun because obviously absolutely loved music and most bands and um would just have a great time basically you'd go and put the posters up hand the flyers out and you had an access all areas pass to just have a bit of a laugh really which was awesome um so I collected a few bits and pieces from just getting the bands to sign stuff and I'd sell that on um, on my website and um, obviously building the website was interesting so I taught myself HTML um, and that kind of became a little sideline business until I started working full-time and um, the first job that I got which kind of put an end to the website stuff was at uh, Northern Rock as it was and it was basically data entry um, for PPI um, applications, which is sort of ironic since a few years later, it, it really went a bit um, tits up, really, I think is probably the, the plainest way to put it. Yeah. Um, so I'd been there a year. Um, I decided after a couple of days I absolutely hated it, I wasn't going back. And then about 14 years later, um, I was still there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it goes, yeah. Um, so I'd done a year of doing this data entry stuff and I'd applied for a job in IT, just in service desk. And some of the stuff that I'd learned, as I say, about um, helping me to download music illegally was uh, was useful. 
<laughs> and some of the stuff about coding and just generally having a bit of an appetite for for things that I didn't know about and things that I wanted to learn about. And um, it kind of went from there. So a little bit of first line, a little bit of second line support, and then into security from there. And here I am today. So that's, that was about eight years ago that I moved into security. Mm. And how was your experience then moving to service desk and, um, you know, kind of help desk? Because obviously you didn't come from a computer sciences background and, you know, um, I don't know, my experience or some people's experiences even now actually are, you know, if you don't sort of have the right credentials or feel like you've got the right credentials, you know, you, you sometimes teams aren't as welcoming as they should be maybe. Um, I know I had a little bit of an experience of that really early on in my career. Um, but what? how was it for you? You know, what, what, what was the, you know, how quickly did you pick things up and how do you think the people around you kind of reacted to you and your background and 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 what your level of knowledge was which I guess it, it initially was a lot of it was what you self-taught yourself what you you know you looked into and yeah. things like that um they were really welcoming actually the the team was quite big at the time it was probably about sort of 15 just doing first line stuff and uh there were there was two trainers come sort of team leads as well so um the training was pretty good with them and they they were very um supportive and very much you know encouraging people to be supportive but um there was a few times I remember thinking I don't know anything like this is really bespoke and um you know it was unnerving but once the pressure was off from um you know you know what it's like on a Monday morning um, in IT, it's always about passwords or someone's lost something or, you know, there's some sort of catastrophe, which is very easily sorted, but it all happens at nine o'clock. Um, but once things were sort of calming down, um, I did find that that most folk were, were really good and really welcoming and, and did want to share knowledge, which was really great. And um, there was quite a few guys who started in help desk and then worked their way through the IT teams. Um, so they were the ones that have done that were particularly supportive and understood what it was like to be that um, new person who didn't have that technical background. But mm. it did start out a, a lot of, I suppose, what I now know to be imposter syndrome when actually then it was more just, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think we've got a really great community, I think, particularly in security, um, that... If you don't know something, it's okay. Um, there'll be someone who's supportive enough who will have followed down your path at some point who is really willing to, to try and bring you along on that journey. Um, you see a few people sort of sniping and saying, you know, it's not that supportive. And like on Twitter, particularly, I'm going to leave because it's so negative. Uh, but genuinely, I've not, I've not experienced that at all, which is really good. And that encourages me to, to want to give back more as well. Um, cause it's very easy to sit there and, and not share knowledge. But, um, I think when you know it's, it's two way street, then it's easier to, to join that kind of momentum and enjoy sharing stuff. And I think there's a, there's a reassurance in sharing that kind of experience or feel or, or certain ways that you might be feeling at any one time. Cause I think, you know, all of us, when we've been through at certain stages of our career have, have felt, Oh my goodness, I don't know enough or, um, you know, or you have a bad case of the imposter syndrome or, um, you know, and I, I don't think that ever goes away, actually. And I think 
the more that we talk about that with one another and share that, I think there's a comfort actually in knowing that other people feel exactly the same way because you always imagine that everyone else has completely got it together, that they never feel like that, that, you know, they look really confident. They look like they've always got it. You know, they, you know, they yeah. never second guess themselves, you know, not that people don't have a bad day. Of course everyone does, but you know, you kind of think you always assume that everyone else has kind of got it far more together than you have and I think the reality is that most people or I very rarely come across people who haven't in some way shape or form you know felt that at some point in time and you'd be surprised actually at what levels or what jobs that that kicks in and sometimes it's the ones that you wouldn't imagine and I've, I've been lucky to have spoken to a lot of business leaders over the last couple of years and some people in very very high jobs um of global organizations who've turned around and said god i feel like that sometimes and you think god you couldn't possibly how could you look look, look at the job you're doing I you know and you. you're like wow oh my god that's yeah. amazing you know that you know not that you want to celebrate the fact that somebody else is feeling like that but actually yeah. i think there's a big reassurance and i think it almost gives permission for people to feel you know that that's just normal i think that's just part of the human condition i think and and um Absolutely. you know um and i'm not saying you know that, that you know that, that then there aren't ways and, and things that you can do to try and help yourself to not feel like that but i think just knowing that you're not alone in that i think is a is a is a massive thing so um, definitely so the jump from um from it into info security then how did that how did that happen uh that's a funny one actually because i'd been in IT must have been about sort of five, six years maybe. And I was thinking, I, I need I need a new challenge. I need something that is gonna stretch me. It's gonna like fulfill the, the need to be curious about stuff. And um and I, I kinda liked the idea and it felt like a natural join up between that legal aspect that I used to quite fancy myself as and um the IT stuff as well. So I thought, well, do you know what? This might this might be a good idea. Um and a job came up and I felt that I was really sort of taking a chance um by applying for it. And I remember speaking to the, the director of IT at the time and saying, I've applied for this, but I'm really not sure it's for me and um you know what what do you think sort of thing. And I got on quite well with her. And she said I don't know why you, you're talking like that. Absolutely. If it's something you, you're really interested in, absolutely go for it. Like, why wouldn't you? And she was really shocked that I'd had this doubt. Um, and I remember the interview and some of the questions that were asked were, were like absolutely Billy basic security stuff. And the answers that I gave were awful. And I wouldn't have hired me on those answers, but I, I guess I must have done something right, um, along the way and, you know, showed interest and passion. So, um, it was a bit. Of, it felt like a bit of a chance, but something that I really did fancy going into, and and it, it pulled off. So um, there you go. And I've never been bored, and I, I don't think you can ever be bored in security. Things are changing far too quickly. Um, the threat vectors um, and the way that people take opportunities to you know create new vulnerabilities and things like that are just outstanding. Um, I think it's it's really easy to be overwhelmed. I think in this sector mm. um, because of that. Um, and I sometimes, you know, have um, a chat with younger members of, of teams and they, that work for me and they'll say, well, how can I ever know these things? Yeah. And I kind of remember m myself saying that as well when I was quite new. Mm. How will I ever know this? Um, 
I just want to learn everything and you just can't. Um, but there's not many jobs where you're kind of called to be an expert on anything that might be security related. So it could be a network security event. It could be a Linux. It could be Windows. It could be email. It could be firewall. It could be, it could literally be anything web application stuff. And you're kind of presented in that instant expected to, to give a, a learned opinion on something and um there's not many jobs like that i think probably gp is one of those things isn't it yeah no very true actually that's a good analogy i i think you're right i mean i think you know for for me anyway certainly having fallen into the industry and 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 then only planning to sort of think well i'll I'll, you know i'll get this job until i'll get this job until i get a proper job (laughs) is what i was thinking (laughs) actually um and um you know that's 20 two years ago now. Um, so I'm still waiting for the proper job. Um, yeah. Do you think if you know of anything, Catherine, if you know of anything, yeah, just um, <laughs> give me a I'll touch. keep you in mind. Um, but, you know, it. I think the thing that drew me in was exactly as you've talked about. I mean, it, it was just fast-paced and it changed all the time and the challenges, you know, changed and evolved. And I just got completely suckered in by it and, and it really excited me and – and that still does actually, and that's yeah. that's a real privilege, I think, to work oh, in an oh, industry yeah. that actually makes you feel like that. Um, that that actually is, you know, is, is fast paced. And I, I completely agree with what you're saying, and I completely that really resonates with me about I think some of the people going into the industry now because I think it can be very overwhelming. I feel in a lot of ways that I that I kind of grew up with it. So as things were evolving. Um, you know, I was learning them as they were happening. So, you know, when when I first started in security, people really weren't talking, um, you know, very much outside firewalling and perhaps a bit of email security, but from a virus perspective and um, maybe a bit of two-factor authentication. And that, and that was about it, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in the mid to late 90s. And um, I'm not saying that was the only things that were, that were out there at the time, but that was the main kind of, you know, the the the, the things yeah. that people were kind of really becoming aware of and you know things have evolved since then but I've learned and evolved with it and I think gosh I, I do think now you know anyone coming into the industry now trying to look at this whole you know past history of everything and and trying to get up to speed on all that it must be incredibly overwhelming and I, I quite often when we have new people join the company I kind of talk to them about you know just trying to break it down and almost not to become a deer in the headlights because I think you can be mm-hmm. um yeah. and just to break it down into you know areas or you know think of it in a in a in a in a almost like in a business challenge way really you know um yeah. rather than having to feel that you've got to get all of you know up to speed yeah. on all the different technical jargon and areas and things like that depending on what the role is obviously but um because I think it can it is a lot um, and I often say to them, you know, well, you know, it's all very well, you know, but I've, I've been doing this a really long time. It feels like a really long time. Um, and you do, you know, you just you do learn things as you go as you go along. And um, but I think it is a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering if that's something that puts people off, actually, when they come in. Um, it's just that 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 level. And maybe we need to get a bit better at um maybe segmenting that up a little bit um, and not yeah. putting such a high expectation to be a GP almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. It's an interesting one because it is one of the really exciting things about it. As long as exciting doesn't become terrifying, mm-hmm. then uh, I, I think it's fine. I remember when I first started um, in security and uh, we'd been through quite a lot of attrition and there'd been redundancies and things like that. And there was literally, I think, three people left on the team, one of which was me, um, with zero proper knowledge about security stuff, just generally, you know, IT stuff, because I'd been in that support role for a number of years. So I had a good grasp on things. Um, and in one of the one-to-ones that I had with my boss, and he said, well, how do you want to play this? You went, do you want me to take it slowly, you know, do quite slow training and things like that, or basically do you want to be just chucked in at the deep end? And like a couple of things flashed across my mind. And, and one of it was the, the cautious nature of it that I have. It's probably smaller than the, the less cautious. But um, I said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, just chuck us in the deep end. But as long as you can help us swim when I need to, then that's fine. And to be honest, within probably six months, um, my personal resilience went through the roof Um probably a lot of self-doubt in there as well in amongst it but um that period I think of it being quite tough and being chucked in at the deep end a small team um a changing environment without those things I don't think I would have learned half as fast um so it did pay dividends doing that but as you say it's not for everyone that that nature um because I do think you can very very easily overwhelm someone with it but um if you thrive on excitement and um, operational dynamics, then absolutely you'll you'll love it. And I think there's a there's a bit of a theme there actually because you mentioned earlier on obviously about you know throwing your hat into the ring for the information security job in the first place, and then you know yeah. you talked about see you know being in the deep end, and that's certainly been a common theme in my career actually. And I think we talked about a little bit about this on the um, Northeast Ladies Hacking Society yeah. event um, that that you ran for the first time last yeah. month, was it? can't remember it was indeed gosh, yeah. gosh it seems like maybe it was longer ago than that but we'll touch on that later on but but you know that's certainly been a theme for me is that every opportunity I feel like I've sort of been presented up taken with both hands regardless of whether I or not I felt like I could yeah I wasn't 100% confident always but I but I just thought well it's an opportunity so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and take that um uh and I think that's been something that's really helped me get on because I've I've, I've I've, I've thought, right, okay, if I've been in the right place at the right time or if, you know, somebody's offered me a chance to do something, I've always taken it because I think oh, I'd always rather give it a go and then not have done that and regretted it later. Yeah. And, and you know, so far, you know, I, I think that's probably succeeded more than it's more than it's failed. So, and you've mentioned a couple of times about you seizing opportunities. So, has there been a time when you didn't take an opportunity that you wish you had now? Yeah, absolutely. Again, quite early, fairly early in my career with insecurity. It was maybe I'd been in two years, something like that. Um, and again, we went through a bit of a, a period of churn. Uh, and I think that's another thing with insecurity. No matter how amazing the organisation you're in um, or how great the team is, there's so many opportunities out there and, you know, God knows how the economy will pan out um, and how it'll grow after the the pandemic um, and the impact that's had. 
Um, but I think security is one of those sort of blessed roles um, where there is a lot of opportunity out there and you can really spread your wings and, and see some great opportunities. Um, so in amongst that time, um, the team had pretty much halved, I think. And again, it was kind of bare bones. Um, and the job came up for um, the IT security manager at the time. And there was a few people that said, why don't you you apply? Like, surely that's perfect next step for you. And I, I was mulling over it so much. And I just thought, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. And I don't think it's right for the team. I don't think it's right for the business, et cetera, et cetera. So the deadline passed and I thought, I really feel like I've missed out. And you know, that, that whole thing, like you shouldn't have regrets. Um, you should, you should never regret what you haven't done. Um, so I had a chat with the, the CISO at the time and I says, you, you might have noticed that I've not applied for that job and I kind of regret it. Um, can we have a bit of a chat because I don't want you to think I'm not interested. So it would be the perfect next step, but you need someone who's, worldly wise about security you need someone who's done it before because we're in this kind of transitional period um and as much as i would give it heart and soul i don't think i'm the person that we need so that's why i haven't applied for the role and i didn't want you to think that i hadn't considered it and it's not something that i I was really interested in i absolutely am but i'm not right for the job and it seemed really he seemed really pleased to hear it and um and I didn't quite know how the chat was gonna go and he he was a fairly approachable guy as well, but still just going, Oh, I know you're like one of these really busy guys, but um can I have a few minutes to just tell you that I wish I'd applied for a job? It sounds sounds a bit rubbish, but um I think he took a lot from that and I took a lot from kinda of dropping the pride and saying things like that. But I guess it, it kind of worked out in in the long run, really. And I think that's, I mean, that's a great way of dealing with it, really. I mean, I think, you know, having, you know, taken away any ambiguity, actually, that you weren't interested in it, but, you Mm. know, actually, you didn't apply for all the right reasons as far as, you know, as far as you were concerned. And I think if somebody did that and came towards me and kind of did the same thing, that person would absolutely be on my radar that one they'd taken the time to come in and said, you know, particularly if perhaps there was an expectation there that that person might put themselves forward and didn't mm. um, just explain a little bit. Um, maybe a, a kind of tough question, but do you, do you wish now you had gone for that or do you think it was the right thing that you didn't? Oh, that is a big question. Um, knowing what I know now, um Obviously, it worked out. I had that little bit more time to mature and learn a bit more, um, probably figure out what I really wanted rather than the opportunity being presented at the time. Um, I don't know. It, it might have worked out because those, like you just said, having a go sometimes is um, the best way to find out and kind of being thrown in the deep ends are a good thing sometimes. Um I think I would have regretted it more if I hadn't had that chat to say, this is why I haven't. And if I'd just sort of coasted along without putting my hand up and kind of sharing that thought process and such like. Um, and, I, you know, I was still sort of looked and looked to and respected on the team. Um, so I don't think I lost anything from it. Did I lose any any faster pace on developing my career? Probably not. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably don't regret it too much 
So winding forward, um, obviously from from there, um, I know obviously you're 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 the job that you're in at the moment, the role that you're in at the moment is obviously head of cyber operations for Virgin Money. Um, how, how's that, how's that role going for you at the moment? I know it's, it's, it's a fairly new one and, and one that you've started obviously during lockdown, which I think must be yeah. a phenomenally hard thing. I was thinking about that the other day about people who are starting new jobs at this time. In fact, I was chatting to a lady earlier. She was saying she started a new organization and, um, and there's, I think, 300 people, I think, in the organization. And, and she said, I've, I've not, I've not met any of them face to face yet. Um, which must be yeah. a really, really weird thing. But, um, how's it been for you? So it's yeah, it's been probably trickier than than it would have been if we hadn't had that lockdown and um, I'd been able to meet people face to face. It it would have been it would have been different. But um, since I'd worked for Virgin Money before, that was a really big bonus. Um, and I think I was there maybe two and a half weeks before lockdown, so. I got to say hello to some of the the, the new folks. Uh, got to catch up with some of the guys that um, worked there previously, and the welcome was really really warm and and it was it sort of felt like being home in a way. Um, so that was good. And I do often think, although I'm frustrated by the conditions we're in at the moment, I also remember that if I'd started a brand new job um, where I'd never worked there before and I didn't know anyone, then it would have been even harder. Um, but the rest of my uh like the rest of my peer group are all based um in Glasgow, so I didn't get to meet them. Um obviously had numerous sort of teams calls and things like that, but that rapport and stuff doesn't happen as quickly when it it's virtual. Um but I think we're all we're all getting used to doing most things or everything virtual now. So, you know, that waiting for someone to speak on a on a call and talking over each other. You can still play um conference call bingo with it, but it is a bit more comfortable than it was. Um, so, yeah, it's been tricky. Um, but as I say, I, I feel pretty blessed that um, I've built relationships and they've they've lasted despite me moving on and coming back. Um, and also just trying to understand the new business that I've moved into, really. Mm. When I left, it was it was just Virgin Money. When I've joined, it's um, Clydesdale, which has um, acquired Virgin Money. So it is like a brand new business. Um, so there's loads of pros to that. Um, I've not went through any of the, the sort of initial integration stuff. Um, and probably it might have been more difficult for me to get used to the change and things like that. But um, it's kind of a brand new job with some creature comforts. So, um, yeah, it's been tricky, but I think it's going, it's going good. I'm pleased I am where I am. Good, good. So well, long may that continue. So. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier on, um, Catherine, about obviously wanting to give back, you know, to the to to the community and to the industry and things like that. And I know that's something that a lot of people feel very strongly about. And I think you know, I can, I think you're absolutely right. I think we do work in an amazing community actually and I think I've seen that more over the last couple of years probably more than ever before people you know wanting to help each other and help people get along and succeed and support and things like that so um I know that I've touched earlier on obviously about ladies hacking society and um I know that we had a a a very brief conversation I think it was last year um when I was um trying to um 
help or it just broke us some introductions really um for um the founder of the ladies hacking society um eliza may austin um and uh, eliza was really keen to um branch out the ladies hacking society from 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 the two meetups um that were already established into other areas of the uk and it was something that i felt that I could help and support as well and I could make some introductions and things like that, given that obviously our, our offices are all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I've, I've got a, a good network of great people that I thought would be really interested. And, and obviously you, you did, you stepped up to that um, uh, alongside Kimberly, obviously. Um, so just want to talk a little bit about that and, and what interested you in that. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you for, for taking that conversation and that I'm really pleased to be part of it. So um, I think in our industry, there is a massive lack of diversity in many, many ways. Um, pretty much most conferences you go to or, you know, large scale gatherings are you can pretty much bet it's going to be middle aged white men. Um, and if you see ladies it's very much um in limited numbers um i've been at a number of conferences where i've been one of maybe three uh women out of 100 plus um that's changing for the better definitely is but when i've advertised for roles um within my security team over the years i've had a lot of conversations with um females who say i'm really interested can i learn a bit more about the job to see if it's something that kind of fits where with my career, where I want to go and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of those conversations have kind of ended at that um, and they've not even applied for the role. And I always find that really sad because you can see the passion there and, and they're interested enough to ask. And um, I wanted to understand what that was and, and why it is a really male-dominated area. Can we break down walls, understand what it is? And I think what it comes down to is it does come across like quite macho and it does come across like you've got to be, and I think this is wrong, but there is a conception that you've got to be a mega boffin. And that just made me think, do you know what? Like, something's got to change here. And it's not going to change through guys necessarily, not because they wouldn't want to, but they just don't see that in the same way. Um, And I often think of, me when I was applying for college and being told that girls don't do that I mean that was a long time ago and things should have improved but there's still pockets of it where we we do need to get better and smarter at at being more welcoming and breaking down those barriers that that put ladies off so that fit exactly that conversation that we had and 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 thinking about the ladies hacking society fitted exactly into what I felt I could make a difference in and you know, breaking down barriers, helping it be a more inclusive and welcoming atmosphere. Um, and again, flying the flag for the Northeast. Like, why wouldn't I get involved in that? Um, so, yeah, um, that was a massive driver for me. I, I don't want someone to be like me when I was like 16 being told that it's not for them. I want anyone who fancies a go at it or is a, a bit of interest to know that actually the doors are open for them if they want to get involved. Um and as I say, the northeast side of things, it's really important. It was, um, I became a, a STEM ambassador in, I think it was 2014, 2015. And um, there was a chat with a, a lady called Carol Harrison, who does the onboarding for the ambassadors. And um, she was starting to tell me about some of the, the reasons why STEM ambassadors are so important. 
And again, there was a lot of people have massive misconceptions about whether this this tech job is for them, whether they can do it, whether they should even try doing it. Um, we've got some great universities in the northeast. We're churning out some fantastic students, but what we do lose is talented people to you know Manchester or London or you know other um, tech hubs because people don't see the northeast as that area. Um, so that always preys heavily on my mind when I'm thinking about how can I make a difference is, you know, having these opportunities. And um, this is absolutely riding on the back of um, what Eliza set up. But a lot of stuff's driven out of London and there's there's more to the UK than, than London. Some really cool places. Um, obviously massively biased about the North East, but um, I'd like to see a little bit more talent retained here. Um, and again, more females to get into the industry as well. Absolutely. That was a long answer, wasn't no, it? No, but it was a great answer. <laughs> so no, thank you for that. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of my absolute um, sheroes is Dame Stephanie Shirley. And I was reading her autobiography not so long ago. And um, it was one of the reasons I started this podcast, actually, because she's she's got a saying, this is, you, you, you can't be what you can't see. And mm. I just, you know, wanted to put something together where people got to hear other people's stories. Cause I think if, you know, as I say, quite often we, we, we see people, we, we hear them talking about the issues of the day when they've arrived at a place, um, what we don't find out. And it's actually the question I get asked most actually, or have done over the last couple of years is, you know, how did you get here? And it wasn't mm-hmm. a really something I'd thought about particularly in, in depth before. And, um, and sometimes it's quite hard to articulate that actually, because you because you're living it, so you just well, I did a bit of this and a bit of that, <laughs> you know, kind of, you know, it, to you it doesn't seem like a story, but actually, you know, I think I've realised that that actually it's it's sometimes people need to hear those stories um, to be able to see and 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 know that perhaps, you know, I took a chance here or I didn't take a chance there or you know and 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 you know not everything starts in the right way with all the, all the all the boxes checked in, in, in the right way. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to, you know, so I completely get that thing, you know, what you were saying, I think in terms of just um, being a bit more vo- vocal out there and, and, and talking about it a bit more in the hope that exactly that really, if there was somebody who was on the cusp of deciding, oh, shall I, shan't I? Absolutely do, because it's a really mm-hmm. exciting place to be and there's never a better time you know, to, to go for it. And I, I think across the board, actually, not just, a, you know, like you say, it's not just in terms of, um, um, of gender, uh, but, but across, you know, across all areas, you know, all areas in terms of um, people with non-computer sciences versus computer sciences backgrounds, people who've yeah. been in other sectors, people coming back to work, you know, um, across all sort of inclusivity, across all, areas really because actually the thing that we need the most i think um particularly to combat the challenges that we see right now is Mm -hmm. really a good blend of people who think in different ways you can work together really well as a team because that what Mm -hmm. makes the most impacting successful teams is when you get a people a group of people who are passionate together who have different skill sets probably don't agree all the time different views of thinking 
somebody's better at this than 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 another person, but all gelling together and all pulling together in one one direction. And I think that's um, you know that that that's really we need more of that. And I think that's a big part of what's been missing. I think over the last couple of years. So, and I, I, I threw in the one direction. Uh, it was just for you, Catherine. So you mentioned steps earlier, so. <laughs> we're level now. <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> um, great. Well, I, I've, that's been, it's been so great to hear. Sorry, I mean, I've known you for a couple of years. I think we probably met three or four years ago and I I, I, I didn't know actually your background or how you got into the industry. So it's 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 been as delightful for me to hear your story as, as it will be, I'm sure, for, for, for everyone listening. Um I've got a few um, kind of quick fire questions just to finish up to get a bit more of a, uh, a sense of you before before the, we, the challenge we, we haul ourselves off this sofa. Um, um, so, uh, number one, um, Catherine, what what was your so given that you're a music buff? This I'm not sure if this will be a really difficult question to answer, but um, what's the favourite concert? Your favourite concert that you've ever been to? That is difficult. You can have more than one, can't you? Is Ooh. that in the rule? Can you check the rules? What does the policy say? Well, let me just read the small print. It says because you're the first guest on, I can give you more than one. But wow! That, that, but but anyone coming after you will only have one answer to that. So goodness, that's a blessing <laughs> being first. Then absolutely, thank you for checking the policy on that's that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, there's a few. Okay, so I think. Uh, the top ones would be Arcade Fire, um, an amazing band. Um, they don't, well, I was just saying they don't really put a show on. The first time I saw them, they didn't put a show on. They were just being them. They're authentic selves on stage. Um, there's about 30 of them on there playing all sorts of different instruments. Really fantastic music. Absolutely adore them. So that was great. I saw them again in um, in Dublin and they put on one hell of a show. It was amazing. It was so good. Um, so definitely Arcade Fire. They always take your breath away. Um, the first real pop gig I went to was Girls Aloud and that was amazing. That was really good. I had a great time at that. Um, Sam Fender is another one. Um, so he's a local lad. Uh, he grew up on the same street. I grew up on, uh, he went to the same school as me, albeit sort of decades after I left, but still it's a claim to fame, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> do you know what? I hadn't heard of him um, before. And I was uh, went to a concert in Hyde Park last year um, to see, um, it was Neil Young and Bob Dylan. And oh. he was on in the afternoon. Sam Fender was on in the afternoon. I went to watch him on one of the other stages. And he was absolutely brilliant. And I downloaded, I think his album was just about to be released, I think. Um, I think his EP was out. But then, and I downloaded it. And I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, really good. But I've, I've not come across him before. So, um, so yeah, absolutely good one. Yeah. It was definitely that. And that was when um, he played at um, a, a little castle that's just around the corner from me. Um and it was just amazing. You could just see the glee on his face at all these Geordies just singing his, his lyrics back at him. And it was like, I've literally got goosebumps popping up on my arms thinking about it. It was just so good. And I, also Fleetwood Mac. Oh, I love Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Amazing. That was yeah. great. I was going to and say, Madonna, I don't forget Madonna. Oh, I don't know. Literally, you've, you've, you've gone wild, Catherine. Literally, I don't I know how many we're on. Are we on five now? Maybe. 
I'll, I'll I'll stop it there. I think that's the key one. If this was Desert <laughs> Island Discs, you'd be you'd be evicted off the um, oh off the show. I think. Well, um, I was going to say no about that. You know, having the audience singing back to you, I always think that you know, God, that must be the most incredible feeling um, to have a bunch of people singing lyrics and music that you wrote, you know, back to you on mass in that kind of um, in that kind of environment must be the most magical thing. So I don't know if there's what's a similar analogy in InfoSec. Is there one? <laughs> yes, there is actually. I've just thought of one there. Go on. <laughs> so quite early again in my career, um, we were starting to do pen testing quite often and obviously getting the third party company in to do it. And you'd go and chat with the project manager and they would sort of huff and puff about budget for it. Then you'd go and engage with the platform teams and say, okay, this is the things that I need to understand. These are the things that are going to be in scope. Um, can you give me some information on this? And there was one guy that just went absolutely bonkers. And it was almost like I'd, I don't know, killed his granny or something. <laughs> it was really ridiculous. And I just remember being quite, I was quite wounded by it at the time. Mm. Um, so that was that. that, that got dealt with, you know, time passed. Then it was probably like exactly a calendar year later, I was having the same conversation with this guy and a, a different platform guy. And the different platform guy was starting to pipe on with the same, like, oh, I don't need anyone to check my homework. It's a ridiculous waste of money. No one needs to test what I do, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy who had um, who'd went bonkers about it the previous year and I'd, I felt I'd educated him on, even if I was like a bit, you know, the, the wind went out of my sails a little bit. Um, he started to repeat the same things I'd said to him back to the platform guy. And suddenly it was like, my God, stuff that I've said made a difference. Even if it took this long to say it, it was like brilliant hearing me words back. So I don't think it counts the same as Sam Fender being at Timeoff Priory, um, singing his songs and, the, and, you know, thousands of people singing them back. But it certainly probably is the closest I'll get. Well, it does if you turned around and you did one of those little fist, you know, little fist bumps yourself. I probably did and yeah. didn't realise well, I'd done it. Go. Yeah. yeah. So, so we can, those will henceforth be known as some fender moments. You realise that? So. Yeah, I think so. Right. Good. Um, so question two, and, and obviously this is a quick fire response. So, uh, again, it's, it's a bit of a toughie, I think. But what's the biggest challenge today in InfoSec as you see it? <sighs> Ooh, tough one. So I think right now in a difficult financially impacted world because of COVID pandemic and stuff, that there's a lot of vendors still want to sell you lots of things. Are you going to have the same budget to, to you know, invest in the same way that you maybe have done for the past five to ten years when security has been almost a bit of a, a commodity at, at some points, um, I think the answer is going to be no. So how do you make the best of what you've got and still keep pace with, um, you know, the, the hackers out there aren't saying, oh, I haven't got any budget, I'm not going to attack. It's not the case at all. They'll always have time on their hands to do it. So how do you remain current? So that that's like front of mind for me at the minute is thinking about things like that because yeah. um, I think it'll impact a lot of companies in different ways. Absolutely. I think at a time when cash flow and liquidity is of primary concern and, and, and worry to organisations, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's spending the money that you do have and spending it as wisely as you possibly mm. can. 
Um, and I think, yeah, that would, that, that's going to be a question. I think that's going to be asked in lot, lots of areas. Um, I think, you know, and, and a difficult one, I think, for some organizations to be able to, to be able to answer. But yeah, no, completely agree. Um, so question three, um, what's your favorite box set binge? That's another big question, isn't it? So of all time, I yeah, would say Black time. Yeah. Blackadder, the entire series. Oh, Blackadder. Which one have you got a favorite? Obviously. Um, Lord Flashheart from Blackadder <laughs> goes second. Brilliant. What a legend. Love that. Um, I watched um, Blackadder goes fourth again just recently. And, um, <laughs> and it's hilarious, but quite emotional. The last episode still it's- makes me emotional every time I watch it. You watched so, it a million yeah, times. Yeah, still yeah. really... Really, uh, really gets you, but yeah, they were hilarious. Um, I might have to revisit that now. Um, okay, question number four. Um, who is your infosec shiro or hero? I've got two. Ooh, One. She's breaking, she breaking all the rules. Really pushed the door out, yeah. Ada Lovelace, she was the first lady in um, computer science, I guess. She was the, the first coder. Yeah. She didn't really get enough um, attention because Charles Babbage was, you know, taking the spotlight and she was a female at the time. So that that that's a big one. Um, and secondly, Dame Stella Remington. Um, she's massively inspirational. The stories she tells are amazing. Her books are fantastic and she was groundbreaking within um, the Secret Services as well. So she's a big one for me as well. Brilliant. I'd, I'll get some book recommendations from you then. And I haven't read any of her um, no, books. It's great. So I will really be good. picking your brain about that afterwards. Um, okay, question five. Uh, Favourite cup for food? Um, pizza and ice cream. Together? Um, I would allow 10 minutes between them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> pizza flavour? Um, probably something like you know, chicken tikka or something like that, or a barbecue one. I'm pl- I'm pleased you didn't venture forward to some sort of pineapple top pizza. I oh god, no! We can't, Twitter we can't. conversation <laughs> slash row within the infosec community just recently around that very topic, um, whether or not that's that's bad or not. So, and um, an, an ice cream flavor, um, Ben and Jerry's, most of their flavors, to be honest. Fish food, there you go. Oh, I do like fish food. But, yeah. but there is a local ice cream shop um, in Seaton, not Seaton, Dolan, Whitley Bay, and they've won so many gold medals for ice cream or whatever the, the equivalent is, and they do a Battenberg ice cream, and it's phenomenal. So there is that. Oh, my God. I love Battenberg, and I love it's ice cream. Brilliant. You've literally just described heaven to me, Catherine. I'm going to have to win. <laughs> there you go. Well, I was going to say when all this is over, we are allowed to travel now, aren't we? But, um, yeah, I'm definitely so. making my way up there um, for, for some Battenberg ice cream for sure. That's got my name written all over it. Um, and last but not least, um, how would you describe yourself or how would people describe yourself in you in one word? So I asked the wife this before and I sort of cringed before she answered and she went, happy love that it was like all the time though that's a big statement she went well well no i think you are quite a positive person like you'll try and see the best in in any situation well and then uh, she's funny and kind so there you go oh love that i've had a good day i've had a good day yeah i was gonna say well your next mug should read happy and kind and positive Maybe not with a not not with a, a pencil sketch on it of your face. 
maybe taking the feedback from earlier so definitely <laughs> brilliant Catherine, thanks ever so much um, for taking the time to come and sit on the security sofa with me. Um, I know we weren't able to to sit together um, and and have this uh, chin wag, but it's been really, really delightful to hear your story. And um, hopefully it'll be one that inspires a lot of people. And um, yeah, and and best of luck with the rest of lockdown. And um, let me know when that ice cream parlor is open and I'll be uh, I'll be winging my way to the northeast for a veritable feast. So thanks very much thank you it's been great fun and uh yeah i hope um i hope it does inspire someone but always always happy to give back as i say and, and help out with any questions or anything like that so if but people yeah, want to drop you a line actually on that note how, how can, can you be contacted on social media uh i've got a healthy twitter account um so Catherine cardos i can't remember what my exact handle is i think it's k cardos but um there's not many cardos as to the pound so feel free to look me out there Brilliant. And LinkedIn, obviously. And um, what's the uh, Northeast Ladies Hacking Society? Do you know what the handle is for that? No, that's terrible. It should oh. just trip off my phone. Right. But um, throwing, again, throwing there you. is throwing that in the deep end. There is only one on there. If you do search it out, um, I think it's any LHS. So there you go. Okay. Have a look for that. Great stuff. Brilliant. Right. Thanks ever so much, Catherine. That's been great. Thanks. It's been lovely chatting to you. And you take care. Take care. Bye. A massive thanks to Catherine for being my very first guest on the security sofa. Really hope you've enjoyed listening to her infosex story as much as I did. If you've liked what you've heard and would like to hear more episodes, then please subscribe to the podcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter and the handle is security to sugars. That's S-E-C-U-R-I-T-E-A, the number two, and sugars. And there will be another episode coming down the line very soon. In the meantime, take care. Catch you soon. Bye.